Welcome to the Skyda Softball Podcast. Your host, Matt Scott, will be interviewing players from past events and future events. And now, your host, Matt Scott. This episode, we just want to thank some of the Skyda Softball sponsors, K-Town Cafe and Ice Cream, located in Kershaw, South Carolina, the 521 Filling Station, also right here in Kershaw, South Carolina, Coach Billiards Pool Hall, Plexus Health, Lynch's River Co-op, Trey Cook Law, Bob Cook Law, Blackman Brothers Insurance Group. And we once again thank those who have supported the Sky to Softball game as the 2021 Sky to Softball game raised over $10,000, which helps a lot of kids go to Camp Sweet Escape in the coming summer. So sit back and enjoy this episode of the Sky to Softball podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again for another episode of the Scott Softball Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Scott. And on this episode, we are talking with former University of Tennessee catcher, two-time Scott Softball participant, Mike Moore. Mike, how we doing, man? How you doing, Matthew? Good, man. Good to be here. Appreciate you inviting me on and uh, good to catch up. Definitely. You know, it's I feel like it was a little long overdue. You know, we talked about it off air. It's kind of a Bit, bit of a process to get you on the podcast but hey here we are absolutely man you know like we said life i got a a newborn son and uh got married you know, a year before that so uh yeah it's 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 busy but no thanks for uh thanks for all you've done and you know keeping this organization going and it's a great benefit and glad to be a part of it look forward well, to participating again yeah definitely we're going to you know it's going to be fun, crazy is because we're now going on year nine and we'll talk about your, your experiences when you came along in year four and five and 2017 and 18 here in a, in a minute. But first things first, Mike, we want to know who was your favorite player and baseball team growing up? Oh, man. Uh, so favorite, this is an easy question for me. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. was was my guy, my hero. Um, you know, just loved the way he played. And I wasn't even an outfielder, but um, just the way he played the game, um, the way he, like, based on my age in the early nineties and when he was peaking as a, as a young player um, in the, in the early to mid nineties, um, you know, followed him being from Charlotte, you know, we don't, we obviously don't have a major league team. And I know a lot of people that are from here kind of have gravitated towards the Braves and um, I don't not like the Braves. And, and I mean, I follow them, but I just, I always, I was gravitated towards um, the Mariners, you know, because of Ken Griffey Jr. So I'd say growing up, you know, I follow the Mariners, you know, um, you know, Randy Johnson, Alex Rodriguez, Jay Buhner, Dan Wilson, um, Tino Martinez when he was there for a short period of time. And then, of course, you know, again, Alex Rodriguez and Edgar. I mean, those are the guys. And then admittedly, I have to say in the mid to late 90s kind of shifted to the Yankees. I will fully admit and everybody gives me crap about it. I jumped on the bandwagon. But when, you know, Derek Jeter and I guess Tino had gone back to the Yankees and, of course, 96, 97, 98 kind of carried them into the dynasty that they had kind of re recharged. Um, you know, I just, I fell in love with those players and, you know, kind of followed them. So, so I'd say now though, if you ask me now, like, who's your team, I really don't have one. I would say I love the AL East. Um, and it really, I just, I kind of follow players now, especially, you know, guys that I played with or against um, at Tennessee um, and kind of just tracking them into the big league. Some some guys who are still, you know, still playing today. Yeah, you know, you talk about the Yankees, and I kind of just have to 
I'm about to shake my head there because during that, <laughs> as a Braves guy, it was I think y'all took maybe I think it was '96 and '98. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for reminding Braves fans of that, Mike. That's right. Well, to be, I will say this though, it was awesome to see them win the series this past year, man. That was that was so cool. They, you know, they've been knocking on the door, like as you said, for so many years, going back to when they were crushing it in the early to mid nineties, and that was awesome to see them. And and uh, you know, Freddie Freddie Freeman to get his uh, his World Series ring was really cool. Yeah, and honestly, you know, being. Finally, witnessing that it was definitely bittersweet. And I'm just, I, it was definitely ironic because I feel like they, the Braves, had something going for them once they finally took care of the Dodgers. Yep, definitely. That was a, it. Was a good, good playoff for sure. And now we're sitting in the middle of a lockout. So, <laughs> thanks, Rob Manfred. But, uh, anyways, Mike, one of the other things I usually ask guests who come on. Talk about your recruiting process. What what was that like for you? And I know I know you talked about off air. You've done a little bit of coaching. What's your advice to those who might be starting their process now? Yeah, no, thank great question. I think it's really relevant, especially to, to young guys in, in high school that are approaching those critical years. You know, sophomore, junior, senior years. Um, for me, kind of my my quick story was, you know, I was in undersized guy up until probably you know that transition from sophomore to junior year and and I started to get some notice from some smaller schools um uh you know Greensboro College Mars Hill um you know kind of that saw again that sophomore to, to junior transition and I had gone consistently since my freshman year in high school to the summer week-long camp at Tennessee um I'd been um a fan, one of my, my best friend growing up, uh, his dad went to Tennessee. Um, and we just so happened the 98 season, um, we went to a couple uh, football games um, over in Tennessee with them. I think it was the Kentucky game and can't remember what the other one was, um, but that was the year, you know, they were going undefeated. You know, fast forward, they get to go to the national championship to play Florida State out in Tempe. And um, my dad and his dad got to be good friends and and likewise and my dad growing up in Virginia played college football at um Lee's McCray and then Gardner Webb um some of his this is again you talk about you know you and I were talking off air earlier about it being a small world so his coaches um so my dad went little little side fact my dad went to uh, uh Andrew Lewis High School in Salem Virginia right outside of Roanoke well in the movie Remember the Titans the the big bad team that 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 T.C. Williams was to be. They changed the name of the high school in the movie because they never got permission. Well, that was my dad's high school. And they were like at their at that time, they were like the Independence High School of Southwest Virginia. You know what Independence High School was here back in Charlotte years ago. Um, and they had a famous coach. And anyways, my dad's uh, the assistant coaches used to go every year to um, Tennessee you know, summer football camps for for coaches. And so he sort of had this affinity for Tennessee back then. And my granddad was a traveling salesman for Tom Snacks, which would later be bought out by like Lance and Nabisco. Well, he would take some customers of my dad when they were when he was just a little guy to Alabama, Tennessee games. And so there was sort of this connection that I never knew would actually come full circle um, to, you know, we went out to the national championship 98, watched Tennessee beat Florida State, and I was hooked. You know, at that point, I was bleeding orange. I was in sixth grade and 
you know, that's where I wanted to go to school. That's where I wanted to go to play baseball. So to bring it back. So I, I ended up going to camps over there. So the co coach Delmonico, coach Simcox, they kind of got to know me and saw me, you know, develop um, and, and a handful of other coaches that were at that summer camp got to know me. And then, and then through other outlets, I would go to other showcases like sophomore, junior year, obviously I was playing travel ball. Um, you know, the early 2000s, you know, that's when the shift kind of was happening from, you know, Legion kind of was dying out. You know, you had AAU, but then really showcase truly became the, the, the time to get seen in the summers and the fall. And so for me, um, again, kind of fast forward to like my sophomore, junior, that started to put a little size on me and I started getting noticed. And I was talking to NC State. We would go up there for a showcase. Um, I played for the Carolina Sox, um, the organization that Bill Capps started. Um, and so, you know, talked to Virginia Tech a little bit. You know, so there was always there was talk, but there was never any type of commitment yet. So um, where the way I ended up landing at Tennessee was um, the summer between junior and senior year. Um, again, I'd gone over for the camp. They'd seen me. I'd, I'd really hit it hard in the weight room my junior year, put on some size um, and, you know, started to make a difference, I guess, in some people's eyes. I also had gone to a, a, a perfect game showcase um, up in Chapel Hill and then an event at Duke that summer as well. Well, the Naval Academy was at Duke, and I had a decent showing. At, not a great showing at Duke, but I had a, a pretty good showing at Duke. And so uh, the Naval Academy approached me, and it's something I'd never thought about going to, you know, one of the military schools, and obviously the Naval Academy is just unbelievable. Um, so I had gone down that path because Tennessee had kind of gone cold on me. I hadn't really heard anything. Um, they said they'd, they'd call me back later that summer or, you know, early that fall and come see me again once fall ball started up. And so for the next couple of months, um, you know, I filled out, you know, all the applications I did. You know, you have to do uh, specific physical exams from, you know, getting your eye exams to go and get a physical to a special doctor. Um, you know, you got to get letters written from, you know, congressmen and, and senators. And, and I mean, it's a whole process to go through that. I never, I never knew. And so we started going on that path. I mean, you get a full scholarship there. Um, you know, you start learning about what that, you know, figuratively speaking, what that fraternity looks like to go to a place like the Naval Academy in Annapolis. So I was kind of bought in. And again, I had gotten some offers from some smaller schools, but I was still kind of waiting or bummed that NC State or Virginia Tech and Tennessee <clears throat> had never come back and, and, and talked to me. So this is probably like mid-October. It's a Wednesday night. I'm at home. Um, that following weekend, uh, that upcoming weekend, I should say, I was getting ready to go up with my showcase team with the Sox and go play in a showcase tournament at Chapel Hill. And the Navy coach was going to come down basically – shake my hand. I had completed the process, essentially been appointed at that point to the Naval Academy and basically make a make a commitment um, at that point. And 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 that was going to be it. You know, I was going to the Naval Academy in my mind at that point. Well, Wednesday night, you know, a couple days before that, I get a call from Coach Simcox, the head assistant and recruiting coordinator at the time for Tennessee, who, again, I'd known very well now for the last couple of years. He calls me up. He says, Mike, <clears throat> You know, I know we haven't talked to you in a couple months, but um, we do have a spot for you next year and um, we'd love for you to come. And at first they didn't they weren't going to um, offer me any scholarship money. 
And so I said, you know, and I had to give them an answer. Here was kind of the catch. I had to give them an answer in 24 hours. So that was a critical moment to something I learned uh, the, you know, to the second part of your question of what advice do I have guys? So I got off the phone. Um, I said, yes, sir. You know, I will, uh, I'll call you back tomorrow. So I quickly had a couple of things on the table. Um, first I talked to my dad. Um, then I talked to, um, I called my high school coach, coach Danny Hignite, who's still at Providence high school. Um, and we have a great friendship to this day and keep in touch. And, you know, I got some advice from him. And then I called my showcase coach, um, Marty Reed, who actually up until this past year was the Atlanta Braves bullpen coach. At the time, um, he was the uh, pitching coach for the AA um, Dodgers. Um, he was in the Dodgers organization for a long time and got to know him. And so I called up Marty and I said, Marty, here's what just happened, you know. And he said, well, here's what I would do. He said, first, call the coach, you know, call uh, the recruiting coordinator NC State because I wasn't talking directly to Avent um, at that time. Um, but then uh, Matt Holiday, uh, I'm sorry, Matt Holiday's brother, excuse me, um, had left um, NC State, so I kind of lost my connection with NC State by that time. And then the Virginia Tech coach, I talked to them, and they said, "Well, we're not ready to commit yet. We want to come back and see you in the spring." But that would have been the you know, spring of my senior year. And at that point, that's kind of late to, to gamble on that. So the last piece of that was, and this was something I never forget. And I, I tell it to anybody that comes to me for advice on, on their kids. I would tell it to my, my players and, and their parents and, and people who I still talk to to this day about any advice is go where you would go if, God forbid, something happened. Again, whether you're playing baseball, football in college, whatever sport it is, basketball, go where you would go if, God forbid, something happened and you couldn't play that sport anymore at that school where you would still go for the right reasons. And obviously one of those being, you know, getting your degree, um, what kind of education you're going to get, um, and obviously enjoying it. So for me, the, the comparison between the University of Tennessee and playing in the SEC and versus going to the Naval Academy, because essentially that was what it was down to. NC State wasn't ready to give me an answer, and Virginia Tech wasn't ready to give me an answer. So it really came down to Tennessee and the Naval Academy. So what I did with that advice from Coach Reed, I took a step back and said, okay, if baseball wasn't in the picture, I would not pursue the Naval Academy. At that time, so Matt, this was, this was fall of 2004, we were at war. Okay. When you go to the Naval Academy, one of the major academies, you have to serve, I believe at the Naval Academy. And I think it's still this way. You have to serve for five years after you graduate. Right. At the time, the rules were a little different too, where you couldn't go play um, minor league baseball. Cause of course, at that time I had aspirations. I'm sitting there at 17. I'm thinking, well, I hope I get the chance to go play pro ball. Fat, Funny enough, after my sophomore year in college, which that would have been um, like 06, 07, they did change the rule where they would let you go play minor league baseball, but in your off season, you had to like work at a recruiting office or something as part of your service. But anyways, digressing. Um, so that, that was my choice, Matthew. It was like, that's what it came down to me. And that night I had to make a decision within 24 hours. And when Coach Reed gave me that advice and I was able to take a step back and say, okay, I would not go to the Naval Academy 
if it was just for school. Still a great, again, a great, unbelievable education I would have gotten, but it would have been a completely different lifestyle, as you can imagine. And I would have had to serve for five years. And here we are only three years removed at that time from September 11th, having to possibly go to war. At 17, that's a lot of weight to handle versus I had been a huge Tennessee football fan, baseball fan, um, to, to, you know, to go to school there would have been, again, my dream, even if I couldn't play baseball. So now here I am, I'm getting a phone call that I can go play baseball in the SEC. So that's what made after about an hour or so, you know, a couple hours that night, I did call the Naval Academy coach and I talked to them and just reconfirmed, you know, what's my future there? What's my history? Yeah, or uh, excuse me, what's what's my projection to play there? But you know, by the next morning, essentially, that advice really resonated with me, um, and and my decision was easy at that point. I'm going to go play baseball at the University of Tennessee because even if I get there and it doesn't work out, that is where I want to go to school. They have a good business you know, good business school. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I got my degree in and, um, you know, ha had an absolute, you know, wonderful time and it worked out. And, and one little tidbit that was kind of cool a couple weeks later. So I, I called coach Simcox back the next morning. I made the commitment, um, called the university, uh, or excuse me, Naval Academy and graciously, you know, said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go a different route. Um, and they, they respected that. But a couple weeks later, I went on an official recruiting visit I'd already committed now but uh coach Simcock pulled me aside in the locker room with all the other recruits there and everything and said hey by the way we found you some money so I got to be you know at that time man I it really sealed the deal for me even more that hey man I'm going to play for the University of Tennessee um and be a scholarship athlete so that was that's a long-winded story of kind of what I, it, it's fun it's kind of funny it's that's what happened and it happens to so many guys you play baseball for so long and you're always thinking about this process coming up. And then within the matter of a month or two, as you're transitioning from your junior year to your senior year, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what happens and it can make the decision process a really interesting time. So that's my story. You know, one thing I kind of just want to circle back to, I remember you said, uh, Delmonico coach Delmonico, that's not by chance related to Nikki Delmonico, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, what his, I, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's his dad. Yeah, I mean, so I, I kept in touch with Nicky while he was playing with the Knights. And um, so, yeah, I played with the oldest brother. So he, Coach Delmonica has three sons, um, Tony, Joey, and then Nicky. Yeah, obviously, yeah, you saw Nicky come through the White Sox and they're getting called up, which is so awesome with the, with the White Sox. Um, so I played with Tony. Tony was my age. He played at Tennessee his freshman and sophomore year. Unfortunately, Coach Delmonico was fired after our sophomore year. And then um, so he transferred to Florida State where his dad used to coach um, like Rod Delmonico coached Deion Sanders when back in the late 80s, early 90s, when uh, Deion Sanders, you know, played two ways or, you know, two, two sports um, down at Florida State. So, yeah. So Nikki, he was always running around in the dugout. Same thing with Joey. Joey ended up playing. Joey played for Georgia. Nikki had signed with Georgia. Because Delmonico and Coach Perno were really good friends. Perno again ended up getting fired at some point, no longer there. But, um, but yeah, that's just that's one and the same. Yeah, he's a hell of an athlete, man. Yeah, as soon as you said Delmonico, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's right. But uh, you know, one of the other things I'm just kind of curious to pick your brain about, Mike, is what was 
what were some of your favorite places to, you know, stadiums to play at, like during your time in Tennessee? Yeah. Um, yeah. Getting to play in the SEC under the lights on a Friday night. Um, you know, there, there's, there's nothing else like it. Um, I'd say um, playing at LSU um, and what was cool, my, my sophomore year we played, which I believe was the last season or second to last season of the old Alex Box Stadium. So getting to play in that stadium under the lights and LSU has an incredible following of, you know, fans. And, um, but yeah, getting to play in that stadium where all those legendary, you know, 90s teams you know, who won so many national championships. Um, and then fast forward to my senior year, getting on to play under the lights in the new stadium. And you felt like you were at a football game. I mean, dun, 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 go Tigers. I mean, you're looking around, there's 16,000 people. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable. There's more, there was more people there than they're like at night's games. Um, but yeah, LSU had an absolute, you know, um, unbelievable, um, you know, atmosphere. Um, that was probably one of my favorite places to travel. Um, you know, Ole Miss, uh, same great following. They've made a lot of improvements to that stadium down there too. Um, I'd say there's a couple, and then probably last would be um, Arkansas. Arkansas probably has the nicest stadium overall. When LSU built their new stadium, and, and South Carolina's new stadium is obviously really nice too. But I think the edge that Arkansas's had, their box seats wrapped around like all the way to first and third base just a little bit longer and then the chair back seats would run all the way down um i'm pretty sure they would run all the way down either side first and third baseline so they just had you know arkansas has got that walton family money from you know walmart and so i think they just but that atmosphere is just it's it's pretty cool down there now i wouldn't say the fans are my favorite <laughs> it's it, it, you know they can get on you a little bit um, definitely got some stories there but those are probably the two or three places that jump out at me so, so I'm going to get – I'm going to put you on the spot. Tell me one of those stories. Oh, man. Um, just, you just – the best one you can – you got. I'm yeah, honest. yeah, yeah. Gosh, let me think for a second. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll tell you two. One's not really a story, maybe just a general. So, you know, there's fans out there that heckle and they, they make it, like, funny. You know, it's not to the point where they're really too serious about it and, and making it personal. Like, we are down in Georgia – uh, I think it was my sophomore year, and um, there's a guy above the dugout. I think he was like a frat guy or something at Georgia, and he was heckling us the whole game because, you know, the net – there's a net you know, right above the dugout, and the stands are right up there. And he was just wearing us out, but it was funny, you know, and you get a kick out of it, and, and it's just kind of like this banter. But then there's other – there's other um, places where there's, there's people and, – and the surprisingly, Matthew, the people that – were the worst hecklers that I remember were like grown men, like dad's ages, you know, and, and they, they would make it personal. And, you know, you step back and think it's like, dude, you're yelling at 18 to 22 year olds and you're, you really are meaning what you're saying. Have you ever stepped back and think like you're yelling at somebody who's like your son's age for playing baseball on the other team that you don't like. And you're just saying some of the worst things that you would never repeat in front of your mother. You know what I mean? Um, so one store, so we were in Auburn and there was this one fan, the stands kind of come down low to the third base dugout, you know, where we were, I mean, we had our right fielder at the time. I won't name his name, but every time he'd run in this guy, 
again, this guy's like 50, 55 years old. Like, you know, you could, you could be one of our dads, just absolutely wearing him out, saying some of the worst things. And so finally, he it, after like the fourth or fifth inning, our right fielder just didn't have – I mean, he wouldn't have it anymore. So he he started to jump up into the stands that we, a couple of us and fight this guy. So we had to like hold him back. And, um, you know, there was other stories. I mean, Vanderbilt, um, I was down in the bullpen warming up one of our pitchers, and um, there was a guy walking by on the street because Vanderbilt's – you know, it's a really tight site where you've got literally – I mean, you're in downtown Nashville and you've got – street right by i mean there was this one guy that just was walking by and decided to stop and just wear us out say again some of the worst things that you would never repeat in front of a female and you know just it makes your blood boil and uh but yeah there just there's so many stories i could say about the the heckling um the the ones that i appreciated again were the were guys that made it funny and not too serious you know and uh but it's tell you what there can be some uh some really um, crazy, uh, crazy environments uh, down there. Mississippi State was a cool one. Let me tell you a quick, this is a kind of a funny story. So not heckling from uh, fans, but we were down at Mississippi State. Um, I think it was my senior year. And so we're, uh, a couple of us are down in the bullpen and it's getting to a point in the game where we got to get a guy, we got to get a guy going. Our starter was either you know struggling or running out of steam, whatever. And so uh, the phone rings in the bullpen and one of our guys picks it up. Well, come to find out it was the Mississippi state bullpen calling our bullpen, pretending to be our pitching coach, telling us to get one of our guys going. <laughs> so, so that was, that was super funny. I, mean, I couldn't believe that, but we, we, we quickly caught on and we're like, Oh my God, these guys are trying to screw us up, which I thought was a little bit, low but it was also kind of hilarious too i mean it definitely keeps the game more fun and entertaining i for sure. say that for sure oh yeah i mean but there was also time yeah i mean that's like mississippi state friday night and again i'm not going to name names there was a group of guys these were mississippi state fans sitting right above our bullpen who who were just drinking out of solo cups who'd pass a solo cup down and you know one of our pitchers took a couple slugs of beer. I mean, that's what made it cool is like there were some places we went where like they treated you, you know, like, yeah, you were the other team, but like people were like, hey, man, this is pretty cool. LSU senior year, we beat them two out of three that they had just won the national championship the year before. And because, um, yeah, this is spring of 2009. Pretty sure they won the national championship the year before. So we beat them two out of three at their place. They're ranked like number five in the country at that time. And we weren't even ranked. We um, ended their streak. They were going to set a record for the number of most consecutive SEC home series wins in a row. And we beat them and their fans after the game on Sunday, before we got on the bus and, you know, headed out, they fed us like, you know, because these people tailgated for baseball games, like they were feeding us, etouffee and like traditional you know um you know new orleans cajun style food and everything and that's again that's what makes the experience cool at going to some of these schools because they actually do treat you like you're a human being just because you're wearing a different uniform you know yeah so i guess this is a two-for-one question here who was the toughest pitcher you ever had to catch and what batter who was the one hitter that always gave you an issue when it came to calling pitches? 
Yeah, uh, two easy answers here. Um, so I'll start with the hitter first. Um, Gordon Beckham um, for Georgia at the time, you know, he was playing shortstop. Um, that was my that would have been my sophomore year, his junior year, his draft year. Um, I would say Gordon Beckham is the best college position player I saw. Um, incredible athlete, incredible shortstop, and as a hitter, just unbelievable. A quick story about Gordon to kind of answer your question about you know calling pitches. So the scouting report going into the weekend, and this is when – so my sophomore year, which, by the way, is my most fun year, we had JPR and Sebia was our primary starting catcher. And then Jan Gomes was number two. I was number three. I, I was happily number three behind those guys, you know, few, two, two future major league catchers, one of which now, you know, has a world series ring from a couple of years ago with the Washington nationals. And it's just a great guy. Um, so Jan is starting the Saturday game. Well, Saturday morning, the scouting report was just don't throw anything um, that Gordon, especially with anybody on base, don't throw anything at him that he can hit. So uh, first, first at bat, I think there's a guy on first base, and our pitching coach Fred Corral, you know, looks at Jan and calls a pitch out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he didn't call a pitch out. He he called a way away, like meaning that's at least two balls off the plate, you know, beyond the outside corner, and um, and so pitch is thrown. And Gordon Beckham hits an absolute bomb. I don't think that ball has even landed yet to left center field. If you've ever seen Georgia's field, they've got these big pines that you know surround. And he hit it. He hit the top of one of those pines um, in left center field. And I swear the ball was still going up. And so I'll never forget Gordon's trotting around the bases. And obviously our pitching coach, Corral, who I love to death, one of the best pitching coaches in the country. He looks over at Jan and he's like, where was that ball? And Jan, you know, motioned with his hands. He was like, it was two or three balls off the plate. So Gordon Beckham hit a fastball, probably a 91-mile-an-hour fastball off of our lefty pitcher. I think it was James Atkins. Two or three balls off the plate and pulled it to the left center field and hit an absolute tank. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those guys, Matt Laporta was another where um, – same year, sophomore year, we had to beat Florida two out of three in the last series to go to the SEC tournament, which we did. Our scouting report against Matt Laporta was if um, if anyone's on base, we were going to intentionally walk him. And we did that on a couple occasions. And but, you know, that's how you had to do it. These guys just had, had it figured out. Buster Posey was another one. We played against him my sophomore year, one of the first series. Now, Buster at that time wasn't he was known but he wasn't like nobody knew he was going to do what he obviously did you know because the following year um that was his sophomore year when we played him he hit a bomb of us against us in 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 florida state and then the next year is when he went on to when they went to the college world series and he hit like what he hit like 560 his batting average that year just then became the buster posey that we all know today um, but yeah, there's, there was just certain guys, man, that like, they just, every time up saw it like a damn, um, you know, beach ball. And it just made it very interesting, uh, to answer your first question, the toughest pitcher for me to catch was Deontay Heath. Another guy, ironically, who came through, um, you that know, mean, you both know well. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Deontay is an awesome guy, obviously came up with the 
nights, uh, got a little bit of big league time, which is so cool to see. Um, he was a junior, um, I believe my freshman year. And so I redshirted my freshman year, but, but me catching him in bullpens before games and stuff and in inner squads, his ball was probably the heaviest ball just because it was effortless him throwing what he did in the low to nineties and he would touch mid nineties too. But not only was his ball heavy, I swear, even as forcing fastball moved and you never knew it was going to cut. Sometimes it was going to run. So yeah, it just, he had so much movement on his ball that it just, it made it difficult. And I think then he, he finally developed um, not that he didn't already have one, but I think where he really, where he really um, made a difference was when he could, again, dial it in, throw strikes, and then he, could, he really got his breaking ball down. And, but, yeah, he was tough to catch, man. A lot of fun, though. Yeah, like I said, though, it's ironic that, you know, me and you, we spoke off air, and, you know, Deontay's one of those guys that me and you both know quite well. You know, I, I met Deontay when he came through Charlotte, and me and him just kind of developed a good friendship through there. And I guess the, I guess we're going to segue into your experience with Sky Softball, Mike, but – you know, in 2017, y'all both came out to the event for the first time ever. And so, Mike, my question being is this, do you recall that when we first interacted, when I, you know, when I approached you about coming to play? I do, yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to remember how you contacted me, but I definitely, and I'm drawing a blank now, did you, did you get my number from somebody or did you reach out to me through Twitter or Instagram? I'm, I'm trying to remember now, actually. It was, it was one of those, and I think you eventually gave me your number, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, I, but that was really cool. I mean, I hadn't heard of it yet, um, the organization, and then once I realized what, um, you know, what the organization was about and juvenile diabetes, and, I mean, it was, to me, it was like a no-brainer. Like, this is really cool to, um, to be something to be a part of, and then, like, learning, you know, the different people, some of which I knew at the time, you know, the other uh, participants. And then it was cool, admittedly, I mean, seeing probably what was the biggest name down there um, was Kyle Farnsworth. I mean, that was like unbelievable. I was like, man, this is this is really great to get a guy who's like, you know, former major league pitcher through 100 miles an hour. And I'll tell you a quick, you know, again, you talk about the, the world being small and life coming full circle sometimes. So back in 2000, summer of 08, um, you know, you asked me earlier who my favorite player was, and that was Ken Griffey Jr. So summer of 08, I get the opportunity to see um, the Reds play the Yankees in the old um, Yankee Stadium. I believe, I believe that was the last season of the old Yankee Stadium. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, so I go to a game, and, um, you know, again, Ken Griffey Jr. is playing. Um, at some point later in the game, um, I think it's maybe Ken Griffey's second or third at bat, Kyle Farnsworth's on the bump and he's just blowing smoke. I mean, he's just sitting at 98, 99. I think he, he touched a hundred a couple of times. So Ken Griffey Jr. gets up there and I have it on video still to this day. I've got it like on a hard drive somewhere. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. turns around a 99 mile an hour fastball and hits a bomb in the right field. And I got it on video and I swear, I swear to God, I could have died at that point. Like, I'm like, all right, I've seen everything I need to see in life. I'm good. You know? <laughs> and so, and so, um, you know, to see that was unbelievable. But then, yeah, to fast forward, you know, nine years later, whatever it was, and to be playing at a charity softball event with Kyle Farnsworth and getting to like meet him and chat with him, like that's amazing how small the world is and how life can happen sometimes. So it's so cool. But, um, but yeah, great. I, I remember the event. 
great event. I think I, I think I played fairly well, hit a couple bombs, and it was good meeting a few people. Met Benji, you know, stay stay in touch with him. Um, and then you know, of course, then and actually, I don't know if you knew this, Matthew. You know, you know, Mitch Bessler came back with me. What was it? A year or two later, the following year in 2018. Yeah, that's right, 2018. Former former pitcher for college Charleston. Um, he pitched on the team that went to uh, the super regionals um, against Georgia tech, you know, Matt Weeders, that was uh, the 06 year, but you know, he's my best friend and he came to that game cause he lives in Greenville uh, here, you know, and he came to the game and then it was cool to invite him, you know, get, get, get him in touch with you and have him come to the next one. And that's what I think is special about um, what you guys have done, you know, creating that following and, and guys to have such a good time like me to want to reach out and invite other people. And I think like you and I were kind of talking offline before, I think that's how this thing's going to continue to grow is, you know, um, you know, people um, sharing those relationships and, and building upon that. Yeah. And, you know, what well, you did participate in the 2018 home run derby. I did. <laughs> so I did. most people usually sign up not knowing what they expect. So my question to you, Mike, is did you know what you were getting yourself into when you participated in the home run derby in 2018? Yeah, no, I did. I think you did a good job outlining it. Um, yeah, I think I only I think I went first. That I was a little bummed about that because I think I told you actors, I was like, man, I was like, man, I'm one of the older guys here. You know, at the time, I guess I was, you know, 31 or whatever. And, you know, we did the autograph thing before. And then it was like we got down to the field and it was like, all right, let's go. Um, so I was joking with you. I'm like, man, I'm an old guy. And I'm 31. I need a little bit more time to warm up. And, and uh, but no, it was all good. And honestly, stuff like that, I almost like going first because then you have less time to think about, you know, getting nervous or whatever, and you just do it. Um, but no, I had a great time. And I had, you know, my buddy Mitch pitched to me. I think I hit one or maybe two. I can't remember. Obviously, not as good of a showing as I'd like. But, um, but yeah, no, it was really fun to be like be a part of that. And um, my girlfriend, now wife at the time came and Mitch's wife, Stephanie came and, um, you know, it was a, it was a really cool event to do that. And I think it, it really kicks off the event. Um, I think in a special way. Yeah. You know, and it's, I think one of the guys who came in 2018, uh, Ricky Sapp, he mentioned, I think it was about how we did a little question and answers press conference sort of thing beforehand. So do you, I can't remember if you were involved with that or not. No, um, I don't believe that was at the 2018 one. Um, and the 2017 one, kind of the same thing was where we were just kind of all set up at a table and people just kind of ran through, did autographs. Oh, yeah, um, but that yeah, would yeah. be cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like maybe you guys did that the following year. Well, well, I think we did that in 2018. I did you? Okay. Yeah. But. I think I, I, I that, and I think I know why you probably don't remember because we did that like very early in the day. <laughs> okay, so, gotcha, gotcha. Maybe drowned, but anyways, I digress. Um, cool. You know, speaking of home run derbies, Mike, in 2016, you were in the Charlotte Knights were the host of the AAA All Star Game. You were actually one of the, I guess you would say, pitchers for the you know the contestants in the home run derby, and I, if I'm not mistaken. You were pitching for Steve Smith, former Carolina Panthers wide receiver and Baltimore Ravens wide receiver for his foundation, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah, he was the honorary captain of our team. Yep. And I was throwing to Chris Marrero. 
So how did that come about? How did that opportunity present? Yeah, pretty cool. So at the time, um, I was coaching with CBC Baseball, you know, Jeff Schaefer and John Ennis, both former major league, uh, uh, major league guys and, you know, great, great, great organization, great guys. And so um, Jeff Schaefer, um, through the um, You Deserve a Chance Foundation, UDACF, and, uh, and I think just other baseball relationships, knows Tommy Viola really well. Tommy's the um, you know, head PR, head marketing guy for the Charlotte Knights. And so Tommy had reached out to Jeff um, at some point, like maybe two or three weeks before the event and said, hey, we need guys to throw in the home run derby. And I guess Jeff, you know, he asked me and a couple other coaches, and I guess I threw pretty good BP. And I think, you know, there's this, there's a running thing in baseball, like catchers throw the best BP because we just, you know, we have more of a short arm approach and can just throw, you know, BBs in there. Um, and it was, you know, funny back at, back at Tennessee, like I was the guy that everybody wanted that, that, to throw them BP. I mean, it was JP, you know, Julio Bourbon. They all would like grab me. It, it could be even like during a game in between, in between innings, like, Hey, come, come, come back in the tunnel and throw me a couple balls. And so I would do it. But, uh, but yeah, so when he asked me, I was like, at first, of course, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm like super nervous to do this. But I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. So, um, yeah, it was a really, really cool, really cool event. Um, I'm glad I got the chance to do that. And it was cool that Chris Marrero, the guy that I got just randomly paired up with, um, ended up winning the event, which was super cool. And then fast forward like a couple months later, ended up there was a cool, really cool picture in Sports Illustrated Kids. Yeah. Of Chris. <laughs> and so I had one of my one of my uh, players, parents that I coached texted me one day and like, hey, you need to pick up a copy of this because you're you're like behind the L screen in this picture. So it's kind of cool. I ended up getting a copy of it and framing it, which is kind of neat. So yeah, <laughs> it was really neat. And I think one of the funniest things, or well, I would say funny, one of the coolest things about that home run derby was you you really did throw some good bad some, some good bad <laughs> practice to Marrero because correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he hit 10 in a row? Oh my God. Yeah. in the last round. So when it came down to the last two guys, I forget the other guy's name, but he went the other guy went first and hit like 15 home runs, you know, and, and it's timed, right. It was uh, what, three minutes or four minutes. I can't remember. And so, yeah, Chris had to hit 16 home runs in the last round to win it. I believe it was. And so, yeah, I mean, there was a stretch where he hit like eight, nine or 10. And I've got a video somewhere because my parents were sitting in the stands and my dad like filmed that round on his phone and man, the crowd was going nuts. Like people were like standing up after like the seventh or eighth one. And it was, it was such a cool, you know, unbelievable run. Uh, yeah, that was, that was really exciting, man. Like I was pumped up. Like I had just won the home run derby and I was just the guy throwing it, you know, but it was cool. Cause Chris, like, you know, came up to me after he like gave me a big hug. And I think he, during one of his interviews, I, I think he like gave me a shout out. He was like, man, my man, Mike was just putting it right where I wanted it. You know, I was like, hey, that's kind of cool. Um, but again, you talk about small world, Matthew. So Chris Marrero from Miami, um, he was a he was a class younger than me. So he was an 06 high school grad. He was a first round draft pick, um, you know, by the Washington Nationals at the time. So didn't end up going to college. He went straight um, straight into the minors with the Washington Nationals organization. But growing up, he played on the same showcase team with my college roommate, Danny Wiltz, who was a pitcher for, um, uh, for Tennessee, ended up 
getting called up. This is years ago, man, back in 20, I don't know, probably 2010, maybe right after he got done playing, he got called up for just like a week or two at the Charlotte Knights. Um, and this is back when they were still in the old park. But anyway, so Chris Marrero played, again, same organization that like Jan Gomes played in down there. I'm drawing a blank on what organization that is right now, but it was like Danny, Wilts, JP, and Sebia. And so, like, we were sitting there talking, and he's like, hey, do you know Danny Wilts? And I'm like, yeah, I know Danny. And so, come to find out, they were, like, good buddies from back in the day, growing up in high school together. And here I am now, fast forward again, years later, 2016, throwing in the AAA home run derby. And the dude that wins it was, like, good friends with my good friend and i still keep in touch with danny to this day and i saw him out in omaha back in uh you know the summer when we went and saw tennessee play in omaha and he was good friends with chris marrero i mean it's just it's just crazy how that life comes full circle sometimes so i guess one last thing i want to ask about the home run derby was how did you not i guess it was probably adrenaline but how did you not get nervous you know keeping that rhythm consistent <laughs> knowing uh, he's hitting <laughs> tanks left and right <laughs> so I definitely did get nervous. Uh, but you know, yeah, I think it's when you're, when you're in the moment, um, one thing I did when I got, I think I was definitely more nervous beforehand when we were back under the stadium, you know, back in the tunnel warming up. Um, and then once we got out there, um, I think for me, it brought back those, those feelings of like, of playing, you know, once you're out there, then you just, yeah, you got your adrenaline, your focus, and all that kind of goes away because then you're in the heat of the moment and you just let your instincts and your experience take over. And so I think one thing I did when I ran out there every time is one thing that just kind of calmed me down is I, I went back to the mound right behind the L screen setup and I would just grab some dirt, you know, rub it on my hands, make, made sure I get the sweat, you know, the nervous sweat off and dry my hand off a little bit and then throw a couple warmups to the catcher who uh, actually was a player in our organization, which was pretty cool um, at CBC at the time. And so, yeah, then it was just, you know, focusing. And then I was really comfortable too with, with um, you know, with Chris, you know, we would talk in between uh, the rounds and he was just like a nice, easygoing, you know, no ego guy where that also, I think, helped me not be nervous. Cause he was just, he's like, dude, just throw it in here and I'll, I'll do the work, man. And, you know, so that was kind of cool. The other second thing is, I never looked up, <laughs> you know, I never, I don't think the entire time I ever, I just, I focused on obviously my catcher back there and Chris and just throwing in the zone that he, that he wanted. And I never really looked up at the full, you know, you know, the, the full capacity of the stands and everything and all the, all the crazy fans. So, so even when it was like, you know, when he hit those eight or nine in a row, I'll be honest, I, there was a moment I remember when he was actually starting to catch up and he was only like one or two home runs away. I actually do remember, I was like, I, I think I tightened up just a little bit because I was like, oh shit, he, he's got a chance to, pardon my language, I was like, man, he's got a chance to win this thing. And But yeah, you know, I think two or three pitches later, he ended up doing it. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a little nerve-wracking for sure. Because, you know, you talk about your dad report. I was, I think I was definitely one of the fans in that stadium that night that just stood up <laughs> out of my seat thinking, holy cow, this is amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it was and cool. So what you, and basically what it sounds like, if you, if we can get you back in for the 2022 event, you're going to be my pitcher for the Derby. That's what, that's what we're saying here. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to, man. Actually, it's funny you say that. Um, 
after college, I played in just like, you know, a beer league softball for like two years with a couple of my buddies. And I ended up, I ended up actually pitching for, for them. So, I mean, again, it's been, it's been a while, but yeah, I'm happy to go out there and do it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, lastly, Mike, one of the things I just, we're coming around there coming home here. Uh, usually what I kind of just tell everybody, and I think you've heard me tell you this, it's being involved with the softball event, you know, it's, it's a family atmosphere. And so just kind of to pick your brain to finish off this podcast episode, what, what's it like to you being a part of that, being part of, you know, what we're trying to do, being a part of the event, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think uh, a couple of things come to mind, um, you know, first and foremost, it's what the event is about. And um, anytime you're you're representing a great cause, um, you know, like you guys are with, you know, ju juvenile diabetes, diabetes um, that really does affect people. You know, so, you know, obviously millions of individuals and families are affected by that. And so, you know, first and foremost, it is what you're benefiting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what you and your family have done you know, to create this organization and then put it, put an event around it that has, that has built um, for a number of years now. And, you know, you and I were talking before the podcast about where it originally started, humble beginnings, you know, it's graduated to playing in minor league ballparks and what the future potentially could be. I and mean, it's really special and to get the participants um, that it has and, and the people coming back. Um, but yeah, to, but to see people bring their families as well, you know, I, I mentioned just shortly ago, you know, when Mitch and I came a couple of years ago, you know, his wife came, his grandma and parents, and um, it was convenient for them because they lived close by. And then, but my girlfriend now, my my wife now came as well. And, you know, again, it's just, it's special because you get to have fun doing something that you love, you know, playing baseball, softball, whatever. Um, but you're also realizing that you're doing something that represents more than you, um, you know, and it's like playing for a team. It's not about the individual. It's about the team. It's about the organization. It's about the school. It's about the program. And so playing for a charity event like, um, like this, you know, you're out there having fun, but I think everybody out there on that field knows that that game that they're playing and having fun is bigger than them. And then, yeah, tying the family aspect of it. Um, and, and again, benefiting what it is, is just, it's really special. And, you know, look forward to participating in future events for sure. And you know it's 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 the old cliche saying from uh trying to think of the movie you know if if they build it they'll come. That's right. <laughs> and you know and, and, and then the dreams. That, yeah. That's what it was. I couldn't think of it, but uh, <laughs> you know, and it, it's like you told me off air before we started. It's you've seen that grow, growth, and you know from the numerous sponsors to returning names, newer names. It's definitely it, interesting to see it all pieced together every year because, you know, like I mentioned to you and everybody else listening at home knows, you know, raising the $10,000, that's the most we've ever done, you know, not, not put some emphasis on that just because it's, yeah, with everything with COVID, you know, we, we always try to work with what we got, you know, 2020, you know, we, we came down to the week of 
being on our third field and we ended up doing like i think it was three thousand dollars that year and, and you know in those in those standards it's astonishing but then the mm-hmm. you know this past year just being able to see everybody step up and hopefully step up again this coming year you know and like i said it's definitely amazing because you know i think one of the things I, i've told people it was it was a saying in uh, Moneyball, which to this, I don't know why, but it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it, there, there was a part where they talked about uh, the winning streak and all that. On, and then Brad Pitt just talks about how, you know, this, that with teams, they win the series, this, that. But the, the, the words were change the game for good and want it to mean something. And 2021 really, you know, established that, I guess you'd say, you know, and just because we're, it's finally, you know, it's continuing to make consecutive strides, things such as that, you know, the, the auction table is continuing to grow, you know, this is the second year in a row now, we're, you know, we, we got a scratch and claw for, Good stuff, and that, and that's what makes it enjoyable. You know, you, you you tell people what you're trying to do, this and that, and to yeah. see people get behind it. You know, it's amazing. But I digress. Lastly, Mike, before I forget, if there's anything you want to plug away, plug it away. <laughs> um, now, I first and foremost, uh, Matthew, you know, thanks for having me on. Um, it's been great getting to know you over these last couple of years, and and you know, baseball's a if my plug is anything, baseball is a beautiful game, and it's yeah. it's 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 amazing what it's given me. Even uh, certainly beyond um, beyond my my college playing days, I mean the networking um, that it has allowed me to do in the business world and for my career. Obviously, co- getting into coaching and giving back to the game. You know, coaching with the CBC guys, Jeff Schaefer and John Ennis, and you know, getting to know um, Jack McDowell and Ross Glode and those guys. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, look at the opportunities that it, it connected you and I together. It, it gave me a chance to throw in the AAA all-star game. I mean, just really cool things um, um, that, that, that this beautiful game you know, allows us to do even after we're done playing um, and, and connecting people, which is awesome. Um, so, no, for me, um, I'm just so proud to be part of or associated with, um, you know, the, the beautiful um, organization and, and charity that you guys have um, have created and, and grown this thing. And um, again, thank you. And I look forward to being a part of its future and helping it grow however I can and go balls. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Mike, I'm sure I'll be in touch with you more throughout the year because I'm kind of, kind of circling down on some dates for the 2022 softball event. I know for those, Listening at home, I haven't really mentioned this as much. The Camp Sweet Skateboard uh, Camp at the Sky Softball Game benefits for kids with type 1 diabetes so they can go to camp for a lower cost. They were putting on a 4K, I believe it is, here in the coming weeks down in Georgia. Go look them up on Camp Sweet Escape on Facebook. They sh- there should be some information on there somewhere. Uh, and lastly, Feel free to follow the Sky to Softball game at Sky to Softball G. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Sky to Softball game on Facebook. And then for the Sky to Softball podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, 
<laughs> like, subscribe, whatever you feel like, you know, it's definitely a interesting aspect, you know, nobody would have, I never would have thought we'd have a podcast, Mike, you know, just because I said that, and only reason I say it is this, it started out as a class assignment in my last, for my final college class, that's the funny thing about it, but I digress, <laughs> once again, everybody, thank you for listening. Mike, thank you again for coming on. It was definitely great catching up with you. Likewise. Now, thanks for having me on and great catching up, Matthew. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Cheers, man. Definitely. And for those listening at home, thanks again for listening.